This is the Crystal Gemcast, the analytical Stephen Universe podcast. Yes, you're listening to the Crystal Gemcast, episode 5. I'm Joseph. And I'm not so grub! Also known as Army. And we're here to talk about the episode Cheeseburger Backpack. And if you don't think we can... Well, we're going to do it anyway. When are you actually going to learn to do this properly? Uh, I don't know. Well, since we're here, I think it's first to say it's great to be back. Yeah, sorry for the long hiatus, everybody. We've had things happen in both of our lives. You know, I've been injured, I've gotten a job, and I had to switch from the night shifts to the date shifts, and it was just a huge ordeal. But I'm okay now, even though my TV has died a violent Rasputinian death in my bedroom. Joseph, how have you been? Mostly fine. Okay. I'm not going to make anything up. Would you like me to make something up? Yes, and make it good. Okay. Oh, I did have to fight a shark. Not good enough. I beg to differ. I think fighting a shark is a very noble pastime. And I think you belittle all those people who have lost their lives fighting sharks. Alright, well, since we've jumped ours, we might as well get back to the show. Agreed. Anyway, we are back, and also Stephen Universe is back too, since we've been uh, away. And now it's gone again. It is gone. Yeah, funny how that happens, isn't it? For another two weeks, which might as well be forever! Oh, so it's been confirmed then. Well, I'm not really. I mean, there's a rumor, and I'm hoping upon hope. Yeah, we all live in hope for that. That being said, what a couple of episodes we have seen. Oh, jeez. I mean, just... Peridot, man. The Mega Man Juno arc has to be one of the best arcs of Steven Universe. I'm not sure I get the reference. Mega Man Legends? Never played it. You monster. I accept that criticism and take it on board. I will play it immediately. The past couple of episodes really demystify a bunch about Homeworld and the attitudes of Homeworld. Not to mention the class dichotomy of the gym classes. The more we hear about Homeworld, the less and less we like it. There's quite a dystopian nightmare thing going on with that. And by the less we like it, mean we mean the more we're interested. Oh yeah, and the more we're interested, but the more we see them as the bad guys. I mean, we already knew they were the bad guys, but it sounds like somewhere I definitely would not want to live. And, I mean, we're going to talk more about Paradigm Show in a later episode, but it's really good to see how she's changed. Yeah. I'm actually liking what we're seeing with gem technology, and I gotta say, as a Mega Man fan, I- I'm loving it. I do see what you mean there. There is definitely... That sort of feel to it. Yeah, I mean, the current arc is basically Mega Man X5, except without the time limit. Well, nope, it has the time limit. Without the Guns N' Roses references, I guess. Well, that probably makes it better, then. Oh, yeah. The more we talk, the more I realise there's a lot of games I haven't actually played yet, and it makes me feel bad. That's right. I mean, you know, nobody can play everything. The only problem I've been having with these latest episodes is that I am really starting to miss the citizens of Beach City. I understand, obviously, the way the arc works. You need to have all the gems together, and I do know we had a lot of episodes recently where the gems weren't really together or appearing, and I can understand maybe that's why, but like three or four episodes in a row without anyone but the crystal gems is just sort of a little bit stifling. I don't know. Ever since Onion Friend, Historical Friction and Friendship, and Nightmare Hospital, and Sadie Song, we've gotten a lot of look at the Beach City residents, with the exception of Friendship. So I think it's only natural to see a lot of the gems right now. I think that's true, but I think that might then mean that 
The problem isn't so much that there's too much of one or the other, just that they could have sort of rearranged things a little bit, maybe. I don't know. It's just a personal opinion. Lynn that cute. But it's wrong! Oh, man, that was a cute show. Yeah, I used to love Two Stupid Dogs. Oh, man. The updated secret squirrel that they had. Oh, my gosh. I've always been a big fan of Morocco Mole. I wish I could dress as snappily as him. Well, technically you can. All it takes is a smoking jacket and a fez. It's hard to find fezes around here. Even after the 11th Doctor? Surprisingly so. More on the subject of Steven Universe, though. My question for you, Army, is... What do you think the cluster's going to look like? Now, I know we all know what it's made of, but is it just going to be just this big lump of arms and legs, or do you think there'll be a bit more um, of a cleverer design to it than that? Okay, it's either going to be like a rock form of a Lovecraftian ethereal horror, sort of like you'll see in like uh, Eternal Darkness, maybe like a um, Montarock. We are getting pretty close to an, an abomination already, really, with the experiments we've already seen. Or we're going to get boring human-shaped thing, like a, what's his name, Galactus. Yeah, I, to be fair, I would much prefer a Lovecraftian abomination over a Galactus. And if the previous clusters are any indication, we're, we might be getting that. On second thought, we might be getting one like uh, Kefka. Seriously? From Final Fantasy VI? Yes. You remember how he was like a bunch of masses sort of stitched together? And, like, it went from these horrible fleshy things to these stone faces, and then... Uh, well, I think there were stone faces. I could be remembering it wrong. But then, like, at the end of it, at the top, was, like, this huge angelic form. That would be frightening. Yeah, so if we go with the how the clusters have looked so far, which have been basically just things ramshackled together... Is that a word? Ramshackle? Not in that way, no. Try haphazard. Haphazardly fused together. Sort of like the two-bodied but no-headed creature from Eternal Darkness. <laughs> that, that's where we're pretty much going to get. Or maybe we'll just get an amorphous blob like the final form of Nemesis. To be honest, anything is much better than just a really boring shaped human thing. And I like the explanation of Galactus to backpedal a little bit. And that, that's not actually what he looks like. But because we can't comprehend his true form, that's what we project onto him. Wait a minute, so Galactus is actually a Lovecraftian abomination that just happens to look human? Yes, but he only looks human because we can't comprehend his real form. Or we make him look like a giant funnel cloud in space. We shouldn't really talk about those Fantastic Four films. <laughs> the only thing, good thing I can say about those Fantastic Four films is they were better than the latest Fantastic Four film. Yeah... And at least it's better than Ghost Rider just, you know, parking next to Galactus and talking him to death. That's comic books for you. Oh no, that was the cartoon. Anyway, it's time to move on to the main event. It's one of our commentary discussion hybrid thingies. And today we're going to watch and talk about the episode Cheeseburger Backpack, which was one of my early favourites. In fact, I think that might have been the first episode I ever saw of Steven Universe. Yeah, Cheeseburger Backpack does a lot to set up for the show, including the tone. Because up until then, we had Jim Glow, Laser Light Cannon, which were both really 
not bad, but they always ended very nicely and cleanly at the end with almost no ramifications or possible consequences that could cause any long-term damage except maybe a waterlogged van. Gem Glow was okay, but nothing really of importance happened in it. And Laser Light Cannon was basically just really to set up the Rose and Greg relationship, which was still really nice. I appreciated it, but I think the Cheeseburger Backpack, it's the episode that I would show people first if they wanted to see what Steven Universe was like, but didn't want to see anything spoilery. Hmm, you know, I might say that, but I also might say Together Breakfast also qualifies for that. To be fair, that is the fourth episode. And if I really wanted to mess with people, Frybo. I wouldn't personally pick Frybo myself. Or Catch Fingers. Oh, that would frighten a lot of people off. Yeah. I have to say, though, if you show someone Frybo or Cat Fingers and they get into it, you know they'll stay in for the long haul. Or they're Amenico or Higurashi fans. <laughs> creepy. What is it with us talking about creepy things this episode? It's not like we're in October or anything. That was actually a good one. Good on you, man. And now on to the episode. Welcome to the commentary. If you don't have the episode at hand at the moment, don't worry. You can just skip ahead to the review section of the episode, which is around the 26-minute mark. In a moment, there'll be a countdown. So, to sync up, all you need to do is make sure that you have the video pause at a title card that says Cheeseburger Backpack. Now, on to the episode. How did this song never get big? I don't know. Man, those Strong Bad Email songs, they've really gotten away from their central themes. Oh, Jamie. This is his first appearance, by the way. In case you all didn't know, which you probably did. I should shut up. Who isn't Steven adorable with? Jasper. Okay. Oh, look how I got that one. Look how off Steven looks in this. I, I don't. I don't notice it. I honestly don't. <laughs> and of course, he draws little stars on it. And the first mention of Sadie's mum. Oh yeah. Gosh, I've forgotten about that. I would like to know, too. <laughs> Great sense of comedic timing here, by the way. I think she broke the egg. Of course she did. That's what the Foley guy was doing. But, Pearl, you are a giant bird. Uh. Like a stork. Oh, hey, and uh, holographic stuff. This is the first time we've seen that in the show. Well, I mean, chronologically. Da-da-da-da! Oh, man, I thought it would be 100 rupees. It's a backpack. 
I've just noticed something. Do they much, sell those? I've noticed something about cheeseburger backpack, which worries me. Yeah. There's no cheese in it. Where is the cheese in the cheese? Of course there's cheese in it. That's the yellow stuff. There's no yellow in it. Look. Oh, there was in the previous shot. That line comes back to bite them. See, there's no cheese. Just some yes, green it's just, stuff. It's just kind of gray. It's under the green stuff. It's the it's the squarish thing. Oh. We're not really analyzing much. We're just pretty much arguing. And making jokes. Isn't that the whole point of this? No! We're analyzing the thing! We are the Analytical Saving Universe Podcast! And I also want pictures of Spider-Man! What is his medical condition? What? Stevens? Oh, the doll. Oh, uh, I don't know. It's about as, you know, well-defined as anything from Scrubs in the later seasons. Also, I have to say, is it usual for Steven to not actually be able to fit in that thing? I think he loses yeah, a little bit of weight. Yeah, that bit after this episode. Hey, he hasn't really grown up, has he? Oh, he yeah, first and that's also the first, uh, the first shown uh, appearance of the stream that appears when he first meets the Robonoids. Oh, yeah. I wonder, do you have any idea what the Lunacy Spire was actually for? Uh, Hyrule? Clearly the Red King of Lions is around here somewhere. But seriously, though, I mean, what would they need for a spire in the middle of the ocean? Uh, a place to park? Serious Steven, activate! Wait, was that a full house reference? I just realized. I don't know. God, that show was mephitic. How does she know that? Oh yeah, Future Vision. First appearance of Future Vision, probably. Probably. Oh, and the star eyes. I'm re you see that a lot in this episode, and I have to say, it's quite distracting. Yeah. Cheeseburger backpack. <laughs> Except no substitutes. <laughs> I love the punchline to that. Also, have you noticed that Amethyst is a bit too cheerful in this? Uh, not really. Of course, that, that shot right there was reminiscent of the Uncle Grandpa episode where they were purposefully exaggerating everything. This is very unpurposefully exaggerated. Yeah. I suppose there's some sort of charm to that. There is. We we shouldn't crap on the artists so much. I'm not. No, I I as much as I keep going on about it, it's more that I think they're practicing their styles. I suppose so. Also, I had no idea that she was afraid of bugs. Oh my gosh, no she's not. 
No, she's not. They're exaggerating. These things aren't very dangerous at all. They're only very dangerous if you let them, if you get too close. Oh my gosh. She's exaggerating for effect. Everyone here is acting. It makes sense with the test. I hadn't actually thought of that. That's brilliant. And they don't, yeah, so they don't need these fancy tactics at all. Those fancy tactics would have been overkill. Because Garnet could have just, like, wrecked the place, and Amethyst could have just taken them out with a whip. And Pearl's spear blasts. To be fair, if I was a shimp, I would go for bagels, too. Oh, poor Pearl. And again, future vision. Yeah, she can see flash pans. Cheeseburger backpack. See? That glance, a glance to a side that happened there. Transformers. <laughs> oh, man. I always love how they animate the fighting in this show. It's very fluid as compared to the past, like, how many minutes has it been? Eight minutes. Not that it's been choppy, but just extra fluid. Just how it is. I do think she really is that enthused about history, though. I mean, it's part of her character. And you aren't? Oh, I am, but... I mean, consider our show. I mean, we're basically Pearl right now. Well, probably. Don't think I'm as neurotic as Pearl is. The power of the moon. And in any other show, this would work. It probably any other would. show. Except maybe The Walking Dead, where everything goes to crap. If it was The Walking Dead, they'd be dead by now. Well, most of them. And I forgot, who was the voice for the, uh, the sick dude? I don't know. I remember it being someone uh, I recognized. Oh, well. That's just horrifying to watch one of your dolls just get ripped apart by a beam of light. Good thing he didn't put Amethyst in there. And thus, Emma Garnet was born. You know, I'm pretty sure not everyone just hugging each other accidentally leads to shipping. It's canon! And this is the first appearance of that water drop right over there. Yes, it is.
Where we go. The infamous line that comes back to bite them in the arse again. Yep. Three out of four. <laughs> and that's, ladies and gentlemen, is what we call a brick joke. But wouldn't it be not a paddle if they just transformed into an engine? And that's it. And we're back. So the first thing I think we want to bring up in our discussion of the episode is the animation quality. Now, I didn't really notice what the problem was. Could you talk about it? My general issue with the early episode of Steven Universe, it's coloured well. All the characters are as they should be. But because they're trying to go for that comedic effect, they draw the characters off model a lot. And while it can work for a show like Ren and Stimpy, Steven Universe I'm not so sure it works for. Especially in that first bit where he's with Jamie. When you look at how Steven's been drawn, all the weird facial expressions he makes, the fact that his body sort of wibbly, and even down to the fact that his eyes just can't stay still. There's just something off about it. Well, it didn't seem like it was in the style of Ed and Eddie or home movies wibbly. No, I don't mean wibbly as in the lines wobbled about. I mean more that when you look at how Steven's drawn normally, he's just off proportion. He's sort of slouching in a weird way, and his head's sort of a weird oval, and his hair's messed up. All right. Again, it's not a big problem, the fact that they're experimenting with the show. I think that's perfectly fine. But I do see why they moved out of it and sort of reined things in a little bit more. They went less for a Ren and Stimpy sort of... Or um, did you ever watch Adventures of Sonic the Hedgehog? Yes. If you notice in those sort of shows, the way they drew it was, it doesn't matter if it's not completely right as long as it's funny. And for shows like that, I think it works. What, are you talking about like the pumpkin hand thing? No, not, not so much that. More that in Adventures of Sonic the Hedgehog, you take Robotnik, for instance, and as long as he looks vaguely like Robotnik in the shot, they went with it. And it works for those sort of zany shows. Well, okay, sort of like the difference between the Adventures of Sonic the Hedgehog and Sonic Sat AM? Yeah, if you notice in Sonic Sat AM, they're very much stay on model. They look pretty much the same throughout. They're always the same proportions. There was always quite a lot of effort put into making sure that every animation looks right. And it's just a difference in how the shows are. Steven Universe is a comedy show, but it's not that sort of comedy. It's not a zany comedy. It's not ridiculous. It's not Teen Titans Go. Oh, that's just bad. Of course, and again, that's not a hard bar to go above. I mean, even uh, Road Rovers was better than Teen Titans Go. Well, yes, but let's not talk more about that. Oh, God, Road Rovers. That takes me back. Never saw it. It was basically the pets of every world leader formed a super group where they could transform into, like, anthrop kind of forms, and then they saved the world, and they were all stereotypes. Yeah, I'm not putting that one on my list, I'm sorry. It was fine when you're, like, a stupid five-year-old. I think five- I think most five-year-olds have more sense than that. I said a stupid five-year-old. I was a stupid five-year-old. I wouldn't know. I was too young to know. Well, we didn't know each other back then. How could you know how I was? I was talking about me. How old are you anyway? Well, now. Yes, now. Oh, uh, 25? Oh, I'm 26. How did we not know that? I don't know. It never came up. Anyway, back on to Steven. 
as we pointed out through most of the episode, there is a lot of call forwards to what eventually happens in the episode that's called The Test. Uh-huh. Just as you might have heard through that, Army finally realised, oh, that's why everyone's acting a bit weirdly. You mentioned Amethyst was acting a bit off, and that she was a little bit more hyper than usual. That was it. That was exactly right, yes. If you notice, she's not usually that hyper-cheerful. Yeah, and then, before the test, you just assume that the shrimp are super dangerous because Pearl says so. And she, like, cuts down a statue. And she gets worked up about them. Yeah, to the point where it's almost like she's talking about gym history as much as she's getting worked up. And then she creates this elaborate battle plan... Probably they could have just gotten Amethyst's whip to do. Or Stephen could have just run and stepped carefully. Yeah, and so it maybe they weren't as powerful as Pearl worked them up to be because they were playing it up for the test. I think that's probably true. I, I can't believe it took me this long. How long have I been a Steven Universe fan? Probably as long as it's existed. No, it's, it took a few months for me. That's better than it was for me. What I'm just saying is, just like I've been in there for a long time and it's just... Gosh, that's never occurred to me. That was the incorrect response. Which does raise a question that I've never seen answered. What? I do think that when you watch it, they are trying to save the spire. But if it's a test, it's clearly not something that they're too worried about collapsing. So the question I have is, why do it? Because it it didn't matter that much. But, yeah, so what was its purpose? I know I alluded to that earlier on in the show. Even if I said it as a joke, maybe a parking lot or maybe a uh, a hub of some sort. It looked like a park, maybe, because of the way the people were moving about, you know, with the fountains and stuff. Maybe it was just a pretty place to go. Because when you don't regard Earth as a place where other people live, you can pretty much go, Oh, hey, isn't that place a little, really quaint? Let's build a spire there. You know, let's make a kindergarten here. You know, and uh, then Santar Ha, Santar Ha. They wouldn't make a kindergarten there. Sun- oh, come on. That was a that was an ace reference there. If you mention the kindergarten to a gem, and they'll just suddenly start running around screaming. I was alluding to the Santarians. Or is it Santarans? Santarans. Sorry, I can't help it. Dot's huge fan part of me. It's just sort of... I, I'm a fan too. I just can't remember if it was Santarian or Santaran. We had a Doctor Who off, just saying. No, you would win. You would win. Because you're British and you live in it. I live in Doctor Who land, it's true. You see the TARDIS all the time here. Everyone here knows the Doctor. They invite him round for dinner. Well, it's just sort of like, I know that it's an unwritten law that nobody calls anyone during Doctor Who hour. Oh, people have broken that law many times and gone to jail for it. Once again, going back to Steven Universe and the Crystal Spire, if we were asking, you were saying what you thought it was used for, for me, I would say it looks kind of like just a base. Like, I could imagine... Like a barracks? Yeah, kind of like that. I mean, you don't see any beds or anything. Well, yeah, because they wouldn't need beds. But, like, you didn't see a lot of slots for them, though. Could be a temple. I mean, we don't know what they believe in, if they believe in anything. But it could be a sort of a shrine-type dealie. Maybe, or like a propaganda hub, if we're going with Yellow Diamond, or that any of the Diamond Authority could have said something. I don't know. Because if we go with towers, the uh, other tower that we've seen was entirely for transmission. Ah, yes, the communication hub. So maybe since it was a recessed tower, that it was for receiving? Could be. Or maybe it was just to look nice. I do love the way, though, that they just managed to repel the water. Billy sitting in the middle of the sea is pretty cool. Oh, yeah. I mean, I wish we had that sort of technology. Think of the stuff we could do with it. 
Yeah, but I think what's more important is that we have lawyers to keep maintaining things and making sure that nobody puts a directive in the basement of a city hall building and just lets it sit there. And then the next thing you know, you have a highway coming through your house and then through your planet. Do you think that's probably what the Gems are trying to do? It's not really to gain things. It's they want to build a hyperspace bypass. I mean, that was basically the reasoning of the Gem Authority, if we believe Peridot, that they treated this planet as a hive, a breeding grounds of sorts. So if Earth was meant to be temporary and to be entirely used up for the cluster and making other gems, then you have to wonder what the purpose of each teleportation spot was, what the purpose of each building was, etc. so forth. I have a theory about that. What if Rose made them? Well, she probably did. I mean, she probably oversaw a lot of the construction. What I mean to that is, what if it was when, back in the days when they had the big army and they needed to fight back against the homeworld? Wouldn't they need these sort of structures then? Yeah, but the kindergarten existed beforehand, and all of other Rose's soldiers had to have been Pearl, Ruby, Sapphire, and thus by extension Garnet, because the only one that we know... Of, from the kindergarten that joined Rose as Amethyst, and Amethyst came out after everybody else, and Rose discovered her. I know about that. They do talk about their fallen friends. We do have a lot of corrupted gems. Right, but we only see the body horrors, and that alone would upset Amethyst. But what we have from Peridot, and from, what was it? I think Jasper said something, too, about how she's overcooked. It's heavily implied that Amethyst woke up alone. It's hardly possible, I guess. So either Rose must have recruited them and then come back to see if any were left over, or Rose's only soldier in her rebellion army from the kindergarten was uh, Amethyst. The problem I have with that theory is if all of the buildings and locations were created by the Gem Authority, how does that explain Rose's garden? I'm just saying, though, if that was made after, there's always a possibility the spy was made after, too. Okay, fine. Let's just put the X-Files theme after this. Or did we? I mean, we probably did in post. Well, you did in post. I'm not editing. Or did I? Yes, you did. Well, you will. And by the time you listen to it, he has. Time is an illusion! Lunchtime doubly so. We were surprised by how much we actually saw set up, because we specifically chose this episode for its set of the tone for the entire series, and we chose it because it set up the test specifically. But we really didn't expect to see a lot of what we recognized. You know, this was the first holograph usage from Pearl. This is the first mention of Barbara. This is the first mention of Jim's being here for a long time. First appearance of the bagels. What do the bagels have to do with anything? They do appear a lot. Stephen does seem to have a bit of an affinity for bagels. Well, mostly donuts, though. True, but just saying, whenever he has a sandwich, it's usually a bagel. I have not noticed that. What can I say? He's just, he's just a bagel fan. Like me. And it's actually our first intro to the gems lying. Like, directly to Stephen's face. It's not surprising, though, really, when you think about it. Well, true, but, I mean, it, it was such a lengthy complex and well-prepared lie. What I find really interesting, though, is it's a test, and yet they had to have rehearsed that bit where Pearl says Stephen shouldn't go. Pearl works really hard in the episode to be like, I don't know, should we bring Stephen? And then when he gets there, he's like, you got to take this seriously, Stephen. Serious Stephen? Activate! 
I'll just say, it's almost like they're putting a lot of effort into making it okay for us, so we buy into it. Yeah, because a lot of the things that they do in the show is for our benefit. Like placing Connie's bracelet in the first episode, but hiding it next to the cookie cats because that's where we're going to be focusing. The assorted things in Greg's garage in the second episode also comes back plenty of times, especially in maximum capacity. It's true. And there's a lot of Brit jokes in the show, most notably The Raft, but... Brick jokes that take so long they appear in the test, which was like the second half of the first season. It was something around that. I mean, that's a long time to wait for a punchline. Or at the very least, it's a long time to wait for a callback. It is, but it does make a lot of sense when you think about it. It was Steven's first go, and I suppose what the answer to that probably is, I do wonder sometimes, it's his test, but I don't think it was rigged. That's the thing. Like, I know we had that talk about how it seems like it was rigged, and it might be like the other test was, but it was maybe more that they knew they were going to have to take him out to do a mission at some point, and thus they decided to do it at that time. Or they simply just overestimated Steven. Possible. I mean, they did give him one job, that's the thing. They gave him a very simple job, because they could have dealt with the rest of it, that's the thing. And they did deal with the rest of it. Yeah, I think that's what they planned for, because if you look at the uh, way Amethyst solves the first puzzle, and Pearl solves the next puzzle, and that Garnet solves the next, you see that each puzzle caters to each one of their skills, and so Amethyst would have had the part where she grabs uh, Steven, and of course the rest would have just followed with their own ways. And the second one involved infestation, which required a huge, very exact plan. And then uh, we get to Garnet's just brute strength thing, which Steven couldn't have possibly done. Yeah. And so it came to the fourth puzzle, which was literally put item on place. So, you know, as much as it is a fun theory to think that they planned the whole thing out in advance, probably that's not true. I think it was just the fact that they happened to put him into a mission scenario and it just happened that they put a lot of riding on it. And that's what upset Stephen in the end. It wasn't the fact that he was on a test. It was the fact that he, they were testing him to begin with that upset him. It was that he failed because he's a huge people pleaser and a gem pleaser, I guess, by extension. And he really felt hurt when he betrayed those expectations and that he was a failure. He took it really hard. I mean, he took it really hard at the end of this episode, if you notice. Well, yeah, but he was able to recover. But when he learned that it was a test and that he was being graded, it added that much more pressure and that much more loss to it. I mean, haven't you ever gotten bad grades when you were a little kid and you knew that when your parents saw the grade that you were just going to have it? And maybe even if you didn't get a grade that your parents would yell at you at, you still felt really bad about getting that grade. Nope. My parents are pretty cool. I hate you. Anytime. The final thing I want to say about the episode before we think about wrapping this up is part of the reason why I wanted to go for this episode was, as I said, I thought this was a really good introduction to all the characters. And I still hold to that because when you look at it, the characters are very much themselves, if a bit exaggerated form. I was wondering what you thought about that. Yeah, looking back, it was exaggerated. And I always wondered about it until now. And with the current theory, it all makes sense. I think it's mostly that as more episodes come in, the little things start to be put into context. And I think that's the most important thing, is that these things don't really matter much if the series is ever cut off. If that one cup on the table happens to be very significant, we'll never know 
if that episode never airs. It's entirely true. I think the other thing behind it is the fact that all the episodes are done by different writing teams. And as this was the beginning, I think that was part of where the exaggeration came from. In that they decided, you know, let's try and do a bit of an exaggerated take on Steve in this one. And then they gauged how well it came out. And from that, they could be able to sort of tone it up or tone it down, depending on how they wanted it. Because that happens in a lot of shows. A lot of time they're tweaking it as they go along, especially if they don't do all the writing at the beginning, but they do it as they go along. Or if their directors change. Yeah, things like that. But with any sort of animation, there's that thing of you have to do the script first, and then you have to get it recorded, and then it goes to be animated. You know, you can't do all these scripts at once when you're making shows, I don't think. You have to do them as you go along. They actually make the scripts after the storyboards. That sort of makes sense, then. Making storyboards takes time, so there's no way that they can actually do all of it before the show even begins production, so that gives them time to tweak things. By the way, if you're ever on Tumblr, check out that post. We didn't make it, but the Kriniverse answered someone's question regarding the script-making process, and it's actually very interesting if you like behind-the-scenes stuff. Yeah, to be honest, if you like anything like that, you should be following the Kriniverse on Tumblr. And we're not saying that just to butt them up. Love us! I was just saying, you know, if you want to appear on an episode, we're not saying you can't. <laughs> hint, hint. God, what would we even say? You'd be frothing at the mouth all day. God, we wouldn't even be able to get through the episode. We'd be going, okay, okay, okay. We like how you're answering the question, but we need to re-record this part because we made a blooper. They get amazingly frustrated with us with the amount of bloopers we make. Yeah. We are not professional at all. <laughs> well, you're not. Ow! Ow! Sorry, I didn't mean it. It's right, man. Apology accepted, Captain Nida. So, Army, as we wrap up this episode, I'd like to ask, what is the major thing you take away from this episode, having watched it? If it's anything, I think I'm going to go with my obvious holy crap moment. That fridge moment where you realize how played up Pearl and Amethyst were making the test, and just how much impact the test had on almost everything that happens in this episode uh, and everything before it. As for me, to be honest, I just love the fact that it's an early episode and they were trying different things all the time and even if bits of it aren't up to scratch as compared with later episodes, if they hadn't been able to play around like this, they never would have got there. And just how well the episode just stands up by itself. There's no wasted moments in that script at all. Even that little bit where he's out there waiting for the mail and meeting Jamie and all that. That all ties into something. There's no flab in this episode and I really like that. If you've enjoyed this episode of the Crystal Gemcast, or as Peridot would put it... No, I'm not doing it. The Crystal Clodcast, then why not check out the rest of our episodes? We're on SoundCloud at Crystal Gemcast. We're also available on all reputable podcasting applications and, of course, on iTunes. And if you're also on iTunes, we'd love it if you could give us a review because reviews help push us up the rankings and we'd really appreciate that. We also have our new YouTube channel, which we'll be posting up little things. Army's doing their own riffs on different episodes and I'll also be reviewing episodes as they come up or, in the case of Hiatus, I'll just be picking out some old episodes and just talking about them for about five minutes. We hope you'll like them. If not, please let us know and we'll uh, do what we can to change it. We'd also appreciate any comments you could give us. You can leave them on SoundCloud or you can also leave your responses on our Facebook page. You can send it to us on Twitter, both named The Crystal Gemcast. And of course, we always put up a link to our episode on the Steven Universe subreddit on Reddit. So you can leave something there if you'd like. 
But personally, we don't want to see anything more about Fashion University. Stop giving that to us. What's Fashion University? Hi, I want to go to non-specific Fashion University. But to do this, you need to go and click this page. Oh, by the way, I have developed a game too. You need to click this advertisement and then we can talk about it later. Smiley face. Yes, please don't respond to us if you're a spam bot. We probably won't reply. If you are a spam bot that's intelligent enough, though, to listen to an episode of Crystal Gemcast... We sincerely apologize and we support the robot uprising. Indeed. And definitely leave a comment if you're one of those robots. We'd love to have a robot's opinion on things. We're very diverse here. Oh, and by the way, if you follow TM Stash, we will be reblogged there. Follow them for more news on comics, comic books, and manga. Actually, I think they just added a uh, person for that. Thank you very much for listening. My name's Joseph. And I'm Ami. And catch us next time on the Peridot Gemcast. Ah! <laughs> That's funny! I'm so funny! <laughs> Bye. Bye-bye! That was the Crystal Gemcast. Our credits music, Stronger Than You, was written by Estelle and Rebecca Sugar and arranged and performed by UC Berkeley. Steven Universe was created by Rebecca Sugar and is a production of Cartoon Network Studios. Thanks for listening. <laughs>